Hello and welcome to the Unsolicited Film Reviews Podcast. My name is Zach Miller. And I'm Martin Cook in Toronto. We're going to start this week off on a little bit of a somber note. I know we're not a sports podcast, but with the tragic loss of Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and the other seven victims in that helicopter crash in Calabasas, um, it's affected millions of people around the world. It's a tragic accident, and Kobe really transcended sports and pop culture because he won an Oscar on his very first try with Dear Basketball, uh, the animated short that he won for in uh, 2017. Yeah, I think it's, um, he's one of those people that, I mean, obviously a, a huge impact in LA where you are, but he's one of those people that really just um, sort of had a cultural impact. And, and yeah, Oscar winner Kobe Bryant. So I think it's uh, it's only fair to, to shout out to, to him and thoughts and prayers for the, the families of the, of, of all the all the victims in that one, obviously. And then um, also, I think we'd be remiss as a film review podcast if we didn't mention the loss of the late, great Terry Jones, one of the founding members of Monty Python, the best comedy troupe that has ever existed, set the bar, and nobody has been able to jump over it yet. Yeah, no question, no question. And Terry Jones, obviously they all were involved as writers on all of those uh, all the sketches, all the movies. Terry Jones was the director of probably my favorite of their movies. I think the most complete movie, which is Life of Brian. Yeah. So yeah, that's a that's a big loss for sure. But as he would say, always look on the bright side of life. <laughs> exactly. He he was one that lived a full life. He died at the ripe old age of seventy-seven. And left and behind a great legacy. Exactly. So, moving on to the actual podcast, what we're going to be covering today is what to look forward to in the year 2020. Uh, I know we're already a month into 2020, but <laughs> January is a very... It's a wasteland. Sta- <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very stale month for, um, for the movie industry as a whole, because that's when everybody dumps the movies that they really didn't expect to perform well, critically or box office-wise. So yeah, it's a wasteland. And and <laughs> and is it just me or was this January even worse than normal? I mean, the the highlight was probably Bad Boys for Life in terms of anything that was released this month. And not only that, that's really about the only thing that was maybe worth watching this month. So yeah. it was uh yeah, it was it was, it was particularly bad. So we can even though we're we're now into February, I think it's fair to say that this really is the looking forward to two, the rest of 2020 uh, podcast. Right. You really haven't missed much. No, exactly. So we're gonna cover 20 movies to look forward to in 2020. We're gonna do it in chronological order, so you can rush out and see these. As as they come out, uh, we'll probably be covering most, if not all, of these in articles on the website to come. And we're going to kick it off with one that's coming out on February 7th, which is Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. <laughs> so, start off then, Zach. Uh, Birds of Prey. Excited not excited? Not excited. Okay. Okay. It can't be worse than Suicide Squad. (laughs) But from what I've seen, I mean, it's 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 got to be an improvement. But 
I don't know. I'll see it. I'll go out and pay money to see it. But it's with trepidation that I'm going to go see it. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. Uh, there's yeah, obviously we both agree that Suicide Squad, Suicide Squad was absolutely horrible. The two things that make me think that this might be slightly better, well, obviously Harley Quinn and Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn was the best part of Suicide Squad, but right. the writer for this, uh, Christina Hodson, is the same person who wrote the Bumblebee movie from a couple of years ago. Okay. And I'm not a big fan of the Transformers series. And I thought the Bumblebee movie was actually pretty good and by far the best of the Transformers movies. So that gives me a little bit of hope that maybe she'll be able to turn this franchise around the same way. And then I'm intrigued by the director, Kathy Yan, who mm. she's really only ever done one other feature film and it was a largely mandarin speaking there were a few english lines of dialogue here and there mostly mandarin speaking uh, language film called dead pigs that came out a couple of years ago and i saw it at a film festival in la i thought it was interesting very uh, kind of bizarre but uh, thought-provoking subject matter I find it fascinating that it's on the strength of that movie that was, she was given the hands to this franchise. But mm. I do like that they're taking chances, I guess, on on new directors with hopefully with an interesting point of view. So those are the only two things that make me slightly more optimistic about this. But I'm with you in the not that excited category. Yeah, I mean, they really don't have anything to lose at this point because they have to dig themselves out of a 20-foot hole <laughs> they dug with Suicide Squad. Yeah. But I, I, th I think they're trimming the fat here, and they got rid of a lot of the things that held them back. And, I mean, like you said, Harley Quinn is the best part of Suicide Squad, yeah. so we'll see. We'll see. So next up, February 14th, Sonic the Hedgehog. You excited? I am not excited <laughs> at all. <laughs> I couldn't be less excited. Okay, for, for one thing, I don't know anything about the Sonic the, or the franchise or anything. I find it really weird that they've already had a couple of false starts. Everybody was all up in arms, apparently, about the way the Sonic the teeth. The character teeth looked. And, <laughs> but again, not really knowing the, the, the or source material that well, it didn't really mean anything to me. It just, there's been nothing in any of those previews that screams to me that this is something that I need to watch. Well, it's not uh, really source material. There's no mythology behind the character. Yeah. <laughs> he's, a, he's a fucking hedgehog that just goes around collecting <laughs> gold rings for the the entirety of his life. So, yeah, I mean, James Marsden isn't going to get me to walk into a theater for it. <laughs> no. I might just go see it to see how fucking stupid it is because uh, it might be the worst movie I, I can see this winning some razzies come next year oh yeah i think i think it'll be up there too it just it yeah it just looks bad so we All don't right, need so to spend too much time yeah, on that let's one. not waste any more breath on sonic the hedgehog <laughs> all right then we got our first major pixar release of the year which is onward starring chris pratt and tom holland as two elves i think they are yeah yeah they look like elves but it takes place in a you know, fantasy world, but set in kind of modern day with a twist on it. Uh, it's Pixar, so you know it's going to be seeable. You know it's going to be passable. Yeah, it comes out March 6th. 
I don't know on this one. Again, even though it's Pixar, Disney slash Pixar, I guess they just they're just jointly doing everything now. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. It's billed as bo- as both companies now, but and and the writer um, Dan, uh, writer director Dan Scanlon was the guy behind Monsters University, so the Mon- mm-hmm. Monsters Inc. sequel, and and it was pretty good. But I'm just still I don't know something about it. I'm just not excited about this one either. Even though it probably will be decent, just because it's Pixar and they don't make bad shit. But I'm just not excited about this one. I think it's being poorly marketed because. Nobody really knows what the plot is. Yeah, and, that's part of the problem for sure. And the the early trailers definitely didn't have me jumping, chomping at the bit to go see it. But uh, now that they've incorporated, they're trying to spend one last 24 hours with their deceased father. That's a lot more Pixar-y to me. That's, that's the one that's going to tug at your heartstrings, which they always try to do and usually succeed. But uh, yeah, again, I'm not incredibly excited about it but i will definitely be going to see it okay so then the next one also in march march 20th a quiet place 2 excited not excited again it's kind of a hopeful optimism i guess because the first one was such a great excuse me great concept and now that they're expanding the universe it seems like a regular survival horror type movie. Uh, they casted it great. I mean, Killian Murphy is an amazing actor who's uh, of uh, Peaky Blinders fame in 28 Days and 20 Days Later. And uh, we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I thought the first one was such a great sort of self-contained movie that this screams to me that it's a bit of a cash grab. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it what it seems, the direction they seem to be going from the previews is kind of what all every zombie movie or zombie TV sh- series is about these days, which is, yeah. oh, no, the people are the real danger. With, with You get that from that line. Oh, all the ones who are left, those aren't the people who are, you, you don't want to, whatever the line is, something about the, the people who are still alive aren't the kind of people we're saving, something like that. So I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed the first one. It is all the same people who are back, I think, for the second one. Yeah. Uh, obviously, John, John Krasinski is yeah. is dead, so he's uh, spoiler alert. He he isn't gonna <laughs> sorry. He isn't gonna uh, show up on screen in this movie. But I think all the same people who were involved in the making of the first one are involved in its second one. But it's still, I just the first one was just such a good movie on its own. It didn't seem to scream out for a sequel to me. That I'm I'm not excited about this one either. Yeah, and it looks like they're gonna show how the whole. I guess they're aliens. I mean, we never really found out, which is one of my favorite parts of the yeah. movie because it's just this unknown threat. But we get to see how the alien invasion began, and I don't really want to see that. I like the mystery that occurred in the first one. I agree. So I think this is more of like a big-budget blockbuster reach. Nah, so, yeah. yeah, I'm not too excited. But then up next, also in March, on March 27th, we have the live-action remake of Mulan. Excited? I was all set to say not excited, but the more I see the new trailers, I'm getting more excited. I agree, yeah. So when I first heard that they were making it, I just, it 
I wasn't quite sure. The first trailer back in the fall didn't interest me that much, but the new trailer, I don't know, there's something, something about it that's intriguing me more, so I will put myself in the excited category here. Yeah, I will too. Uh, it's, it's, it's a war movie. Yeah. It's a medieval war movie, and I'm all for that. That is, <laughs> it, that is in my wheelhouse, and I don't think it's going to be a musical which is fine. I don't think there's going to be a cartoon dragon with Eddie Murphy <laughs> and also fine with that. I think it's going to be maybe up there. Ah, that's hard to say. I don't think it's going to be up there with Jungle Book, the live action remake. But as far as Disney remakes go, I think this is the one that they should have focused on because it tells a really good story and it's as topical today even more topical as it was in 1997 when the first one came out. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. This, this one, even though I wasn't that interested when I first heard they were making it, you're right that it seems like it lends itself to a live action remake more than some of the others that they've already done. So then next up, moving into a different kind of genre on April 24th, we have antebellum excited, not excited. I, can't, I hate to be so fucking wishy-washy here. <laughs> but Maybe we should have had it a third category. Just <laughs> mildly intrigued. <laughs> yes, yeah, I am mildly intrigued because I have no idea what it's about. Like the, the trailer looks interesting, and I'm not saying that they should give away the entire plot during the trailer because too many movies do that, which is why a lot of people don't go to see movies because they're too predictable. But... I just don't know what the premise is. It's by Blum. It's by from production company Blumhouse, which produced the best horror movies over the past probably decade or so. Yeah. The Get Out Us and a ton of others. But the thing I, I I will put myself in the excited category, but and I, I agree. Okay. I don't know exactly what the plot is, but here's what it seems to be to me: it's a horror movie, obviously. And the idea seems to be that this woman living in modern times wakes wakes up or has these uh, episodes where all of a sudden she's thrust back into antebellum U.S. and she's basically a slave. So that would be, I can't imagine anything more scary for, for somebody than that, waking up and, and you're a slave. And so that to me seems like it, it has a lot of potential for interesting topical commentary. Uh, I Janelle Monet, I think, is is just getting better and better all the time, and so I'm very yeah. interested to see her carry a movie. I, I think she's got it in her, and so those two things together are, are what put me in in the excited category for this one. Also. I'm not normally a big horror movie. I think I've mentioned this before, but what I do appreciate yeah. are when horror movies try to do something a little different. And this, yeah. this is one that seems to be doing that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll definitely agree with that. I like when they take risks Yeah, and go outside the normal horror tropes, to actually send a human message. And this, that seems to be what this is trying to do. So uh, we'll be going to see this one, even though I'm a little bit on the fence about it. And then uh, next up, we have the most dun, stalwart. Dun, 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 dun. Sorry. <laughs> we have probably the most stalwart franchise in 
cinema history with the latest installment of the 007 James Bond franchise, No Time to Die, which will be Daniel Craig's last performance as the titular character, and that comes on April 10th. Well, as you can tell by me jumping in with the theme music, <laughs> I am obviously excited about this one. I, I, I've always been a big James Bond fan, and uh, but that said, there are there are good movies and there are bad movies. I think the last two that were directed by Sam Mendes, uh, I thought Skyfall was fantastic. I was fairly a little disappointed with uh, with Spectre. Now mm-hmm. we've got a new director coming on for, for this one. They tend to shift, go through directors about once every movie or two. And um, I'm intrigued about, I'm, just, I'm there for Daniel Craig's last performance. I love the fact that they brought in Phoebe Waller-Bridge to do some writing or rewriting on the script. That's just oh, a, wow. a fantastic idea. And so it Hell could yeah. have some really interesting, punchy dialogue. And I love the fact that they got Billie Eilish to do the theme song. She seems like mm-hmm. made to do a James Bond theme song. I just, I'm, I'm there for all of it. <laughs> and it has our girl Anna Darmus in it. Yes, exactly. And and if there was anybody that was born to play a Bond girl, it's her. Yeah, yeah. She has she has the looks. She has the chops. She has the exotic accent. She's everything you want in your prototypical Bond girl. And yeah, I was also kind of disappointed with Spectre. So, several of the Daniel Craig Bond movies have been so convoluted that they don't seem like Bond movies. It's uh, well. It's it seems to it's gone back and forth, right? I think Casino Royale yeah. was great. Yeah. Quantum of Solace was meh. Skyfall was great, and then Spectre was meh. So hopefully yeah. he'll end off things right with his fifth and last one. Yeah, and I mean, I think he's a great James Bond. He's great for this era. A lot more realistic. They kind of nixed all the gadgets that made Pierce Brosnan's last couple films like way too cartoonish. Yeah. But, uh, of course, I mean, it's a James Bond movie. Of course I'm buying a fucking ticket. <laughs> All right, so still on the... Uh, well, now we're into the summer blockbuster stretch. So May 1st, Black Widow. We've talked about it briefly before on the last podcast, but uh, excited, not excited? Definitely excited, especially after the Super Bowl spot last night. I agree, yeah. Like They, they seem like they're going to give Florence Pugh a lot of screen time. And I, lo- I mean, I love her. You can see my review on two of her movies this year in, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Midsummer and Little Women. And she is she's the horse that I'm riding for the, next, <laughs> for the next few years as one of the best up and coming actresses in the world right now. And to to have the. Uh, the little kind of um, smaller movie in Little Women, the critically acclaimed movie, I should say, actually, and then put that back to back with the tentpole Marvel movie in Black Widow, and uh, yeah, I think the the sky's the limit for her from here on out. Yeah, just think about her last year and a half. She's done everything. She did a small movie with Fighting with My Family. She did the horror right. movie of Midsummer. She did sort of the period piece with Little uh, Little Women, and now this big budget Marvel movie. It's it's amazing the the depth that she has in terms of her acting ability. And I'm definitely in the excited category as well, at more so now than I than I was before. 
I also, you know, Scarlett Johansson, Rachel Weisz, it's, it's a pretty good cast they've thrown together. So Marvel hasn't gone wrong yet in terms of making a, an absolutely horrible movie, in my opinion. There's definitely been some that have been lesser than others, but uh, um, I'm still willing to give them a shot anytime a new movie of theirs comes out. Mm-hmm. And then we have the ninth installment of the Fast and Furious franchise coming out on May 22nd. I've, I've seen this stylized so many different ways that I don't know what this movie is actually called. Because I've seen it stylized as Fast 9, Fast and Furious 9, F9, and FNF9. <laughs> At this point, does it really matter? <laughs> no, it doesn't because I've done like Fast Six, Furious Seven. I mean, yeah. all you all you have to do is put Vin the Diesel in the fucking poster. The fate is the, of the Furious. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, the fate of the Furious. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, all you have to do is put Vin Diesel next to a car on a poster, and it will make a billion dollars now. Apparently, I, I will tell you that I'm excited because <laughs> I am all in on this franchise now. Yeah, like, it's dumb as shit, but it's dumb in the way that you love to see these kind of blockbusters made where you just sit there, you get your popcorn and soda, you're just shoveling popcorn in your face, <laughs> laughing at Ludacris and Tyrese, and just, it's a fun two hours every time. It, it is. Uh, I think I'll be the naysayer here. I'm starting to get a little bit of Fast and Furious fatigue. Uh, that'll be their next movie. It'll be called that, I think. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I can't believe they even got to nine. I'm, I've enjoyed these movies for sure. This one, The Rock isn't in this one. Instead, yeah. they're bringing in John Cena. And here's the thing with John Cena. So far, of all the movies, and he's done a pretty good job, probably only second to The Rock. And well, maybe Batista, he's been done pretty well in making that mm -hmm. jump from wrestler to, to, to movie star. Right. Anything that John Cena has been good in, in my opinion, has been a comedic role. Whereas his yeah, yeah, his, yeah. his action roles, I haven't been as interested in. I guess maybe you could make a claim that this is basically a comedic role because nobody's taking <laughs> these things seriously. Yeah. But if that's the big selling point for this one, I'm not. I'm starting to get a little tired of it. But I'll I'll definitely still go to see it. No question. <laughs> All right, so then that takes us to June 5th, Wonder Woman 1984. Excited. Yeah, I was a I was a big fan of the first Wonder Woman. I don't know how they're going to handle the whole time traveling thing and bringing Chris Pine back, but I'm 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 there for it for sure. Yeah, I I'm the same. I thought the first one was by far the best of the of the Warner Brothers DC uh, superhero movies that that have been made in the last little while and yeah, I'm also not quite sure what exactly, what kind of convoluted story uh, imaginations they're going to have to have to make yeah. uh, the Steve Trevor character come back to life. But I guess the interaction between the two, the chemistry between the two in the first movie was just so good that maybe they figured, oh, well, we'll figure out, we'll try to make it work somehow just so they could get him back for this movie. But it looks it looks great. And the, one of the things I like about it, from what you can tell from the from the trailer is that it sort of flips the script a little bit in the first one he was the one introducing her to the world and she was sort of the naive one who didn't really understand how things worked and right. now it seems like it's the opposite way around since she's been living in this time period in the 80s and he obviously i guess has just woken up from dying 
back in the, in World War One or whatever, whatever yeah, the story is going to be. She's now the one kind of introducing him to the world, and he's the one that seems naive and doesn't really understand what's going on. So I do like that that idea of just flipping that dynamic around a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the good thing about comic book movies is there's a certain suspense of disbelief <laughs> yeah. that you're allowed, you're allowed to go through. So, I mean, if, if they have chemistry and the story's good, then fuck it, yeah, just... Yeah, as, as long as they come up with some bullshit line about, oh, the quantum blah, 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 whatever <laughs> bullshit, and I, I got it back, and so now I'm here again. All right, yeah. fine, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm willing to buy that. Yeah. So then up next we have the latest... Pixar entry. It's the one they're probably going to push a lot more as the year goes on. On June 19th, we have Soul, which is written by the great, great Pete Doctor. Absolutely. Yeah, I didn't know that much about this movie until I started looking into it. But Pete Doctor, yeah, this is the guy behind uh, Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., Wally Up!, Inside Out, he is unquestionably the greatest um, animated uh, creative force in history, in my right. in my opinion. And so, yeah, he could do he could make a movie about a bucket of paint that has to sit there and watch itself dry for the. And I, I would assume he could find a way to make it interesting and make it work and and have me crying by the end. So I am I am there for this movie, no questions asked. Yeah, and it's about music and yeah, and they, yeah, yeah, that's before it's about a guy, uh, supposedly about somebody who's trying to rediscover their love for music. So yeah, uh, this is going to be a front runner for best animated picture already. Yeah, and I've I've only seen a thirty second trailer for it. Yeah. So from that we go to <laughs> Top Gun Maverick, June twenty sixth. Not excited. <laughs> okay. Okay. I was never a fan of the original Top Gun. That is, that's blasphemy to some people because I mean, I know quite a few people that live and die by that movie, just because I grew up in a military town. But it wasn't a movie about fighting, like a fighter pilots. It was a love story and a lot of uh, volleyball playing with shirtless dudes. <laughs> Yeah, I'll put myself into the into the excited category. Uh, I think that's probably just the the time in our lives when we saw them, when we when we saw this movie. I've got a few years on you, so I would have seen this seen the original. The original was at nineteen eighty eight, eighty five, eighty five. Okay, so maybe I didn't see it right when it came out. So, but anyway, I saw it when I was a kid, and so as a kid, I thought it was great. You know these. Just going oh, around yeah, okay. and, and airplanes, and I feel the need, the need for speed, and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. I I loved all that crap when I was when I was a kid, and so just as a purely nostalgia factor, I'm I'm, I'm I'll put myself into the excited category for this one. All right, and yeah, we kind of have like a Val Kilmer coming back, but from what I've seen, it looks like they're like D. They're like taking weight off of him using CGI instead of de aging, which oh, really? is what we've seen lately. Because Tom Cruise so, looks the same, so it would be weird if oh, yeah. Tom Cruise and then Val Kilmer's character looking so different now from from what he how he used to, to yeah, look. Yeah, it must be sci- it must be the Scientology because that dude <laughs> that dude hasn't aged in 
30 fucking years. No, absurd. <laughs> okay, then we have um, Ghostbusters Afterlife on July 10th. This is disregarding the all-female uh, Ghostbusters that came out in 2016. And kind of, it, it's a direct sequel to the Ghostbusters franchise with Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and company. Yeah, not excited. Me I, I, the, the trailer that they had made me slightly more interested in that it seemed like they were almost leading into more of the horror tropes rather than the straight comedy. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's just how they did the trailer. I don't know. I'm still not... I'm still not excited. I, I don't know. I enjoyed the original ones, but I just don't think we need Ghostbusters these days. So. Yeah, I thought they were. I thought they were okay movies, but I don't understand the obsession behind them. Like the rabid fan base. Yeah. that Ghostbusters has, and uh, I got to give ups to Finn Wolfhard though. He's on one hell of a run for a for a kid actor. And he seems to be actually growing up as his roles grow up. I mean, he's still sticking in the horror categories because he was in Stranger Things, It, Chapter 1 and 2, and this now. And he's in a, another movie that, that has to do with, um, like, some psycho kids in a haunted house. I forgot what it was called. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I saw a trailer, but I don't remember anything about it right now. But anyway, he's, he's carving out about. quite... Yeah, he's carving out quite the career for himself, so big big props to him, but I don't think I'm going to be seeing Ghostbusters in the theater. Yeah, me, me neither, likely. But that brings us to July 17th, Tenet. I'm super excited, even though I know nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Christopher Nolan uh, doing an original movie. How there, there's obviously I'm excited about it. The guy, yeah. even if it's not amazing, it's going to be interesting. He's going to do some unique things with it. That's just what he does. He's just one of the better filmmakers alive today. He just takes risks. He comes in with interesting ideas. Some of them work, some of them don't, but it's always watchable and thought-provoking and, and mostly fascinating. So, yeah, I'm definitely there for it. Yeah, the way he's been able to mix thought-provoking drama with blockbuster appeal is pretty much unprecedented. Yeah. He has a he has an indie filmmaker's mind, but he's able to parlay that into billions of dollars gross. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point and he's probably he's about the only director I can think of these days that can actually do that. That can o- yeah. can open a movie with an original idea that on budgets of that scale these days. I can't think of another person. I mean, maybe Spielberg, but he doesn't really do original movies anymore. Yeah, I was just going to say Spielberg can't even do that, which is saying quite a lot because, I mean, Spielberg's not an auteur. He's strictly a director. He's never written his own scripts or anything, but Christopher Nolan is a true auteur, and he does it at the biggest level you can imagine. His movies are critically acclaimed, crazy financially successful, mm-hmm. and he does it with really good actors, too. Like He has uh, John David Washington, yeah. the Denzel Washington's son, who is probably the best actor in the HBO series Ballers, and I'm glad to see him branching out and doing a 
detective time drama that's <laughs> supposed to stop World War Three. I guess. I, I guess. <laughs> yeah, again. It's, we don't really know too much about the plot. But then again, how much did I did we really know about the full plot of Inception before going, walking in? Not that exactly. much. Exactly. So, or the, the prestige or yeah, anything. Yeah, so it really doesn't matter. But yeah, you know, John David Washington's really starting to step out from under his his father's uh, shadow which is a pretty impressive thing to do because that's a pretty that man casts a long large shadow so yeah, damn right <laughs> then we have uh, on july 31st another marvel movie but not under the marvel banner that we're familiar with for disney this is sony's first real shot at doing a superhero movie not named Spider-Man, <laughs> although connected to the Spider-Man universe. Is it? Okay, is, I wasn't... Is yeah. it connected in the same way that Venom was connected to the Spider-Man Uh Ostensibly. Universe? Okay, okay. I don't think... Yeah, I mean, Tom Holland's not going to be in it, I don't think. Right. But it's like setting up... It's setting up the cards to fall in uh, Morbius, which I had never heard of. I'm not a real comic book reader, and... It stars Jared Leto as a doctor who tries to cure his terminal disease by turning him into a vampire. I'm excited. It looks pretty good. Oh, yeah. Okay. I am not excited. They're, okay. They're, Jared Leto can go one of... he can. He's hit or miss for me. And yeah. so that isn't really a deciding factor. Uh, Jared Harris is great, and he's in that. But the thing that makes me not excited is I took a look at who is behind this movie. Okay. And the writing team, let me see if I get these names right, a guy named Matt Susanna and Burke Sharpless. Here are some of their, their recent credits. Oh, God, here we go. Gods of Egypt. Oh, no. <laughs> Power Rangers. No. And then the Lost in Space uh, series. Oh, Jesus Christ. So that doesn't inspire a lot of confidence for me, unfortunately. Yeah, put, so, put, me, put me in the not excited so category that, yeah, now. That, that <laughs> me into the not excited category. <laughs> Apologies to Matt, Susanna, and Berg Sharpless, but I don't know. Prove it. P- prove me wrong, boys. Prove me wrong. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> All right, so then we're now into August. August 21st, Bill and Ted face the music. <laughs> um, excited? I would, excited. I, I would say excited, but uh, cautiously optimistic. Uh, uh, Keanu Reeves has kind of had a renaissance over the past few years with the John Wick series, and there's going to be John Wick 4 and the next Matrix coming out in 2021. But um, uh, I wasn't a huge fan of the Bill and Ted series to begin with, but I feel like they can <clears throat> they can do something funny. I mean, Keanu Reeves has never been the funniest guy, but we'll see. I mean, he's like a fifty year old stoner now. What are your thoughts on that one, though? I I am excited. I will say I I loved Bill and Ted when I was a kid. I just loved those movies. I did go back and rewatch them about four years ago. Okay. The first one still holds up. Still fantastic. Still a great movie. 
The second one, Valentin's Bogus Journey, was yeah. fucking horrible <laughs> upon re-watching it for the second time. So uh, I'm, I'm still excited just because I love that first one so much and it did still hold up. And uh, yeah, Keanu Reeves, as you said, has had a bit of a renaissance. He seems to be now recognized, I guess maybe along with Tom Hanks, as, as the nicest actor in the world. And, oh, yeah. And this is obviously a big act of charity on his part, giving his <laughs> his, his buddy Alex Winter uh, a, a free paycheck here. Because <laughs> I don't think that guy's really done much since Bill and Ted's. So I'm, I'm still excited. I, I don't know. There'll be some fun nostalgia stuff and... If it's if it's about music, I guess the idea is it's more their kids who are the ones who are in trouble or something. So okay. I'm, I'll watch it, I'm, and I'm excited to go see it. All right. And then uh, next up we have the third installment in the uh, Kingsman saga, and it's called not the Kingsman, but the King's Man. <laughs> and that's coming out on September 18th, and I cannot wait for it. Really? Okay. I, my the idea, I guess, behind this one is that it's a prequel, right? So yeah, it's yeah. how the whole Kingsman no... uh, franchise, how the whole Kingsman organization got started. Yeah, there's no Taron Egerton. No, it's gonna hurt it, but yeah, I'm not as excited. I I enjoyed both the first two, especially the first one. I thought it was just a really unique, fun story. I just. I guess some of the novelty is starting to wear off for me, so I've, I'm okay. just not... I'll, I'll probably go see it and probably enjoy it, but I'm just not excited about it, I would say. All right. Well, I think adding uh, Ray Fiennes to the cast is great, and Stanley Tucci and uh, Digimon Hansu. They have a they have a great lineup here, and uh, they're not going to be able to replace Taron Edgerton because he was great as Eggsy. Yeah. Kind of like a like a postmodern James Bond type, but uh, it's going to be set in World War One, and I'm all down for World War One movies. And <laughs> yeah. they, 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 World War One's so hot right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've done a great job so far, so I'm, I, I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Fair enough. Then we have another sequel, uh, sort of like Bill and Ted's and Ghostbusters, a sequel calling them all the way back to the 80s again. Oh, 80s or 90s? Anyway, whenever the original was. We've got Coming to America 2, or Coming to, letter and number, to America on December 18th. Excited or not excited? Um, excited. More excited now than I would have been six months ago, just because... Eddie Murphy actually is trying now in his career. <laughs> and he's been kind of mailing it in for the past 30 years because he made ungodly money in the 80s and he's just been able to do that. And good for him. I mean, I'm not <laughs> bashing him or anything. But now bringing back all the original cast with Arsenio Hall and Wesley Snipes and the fact that uh, Murphy and Snipes teamed up in Dolomite earlier this year really showed me that they still have what it takes to make a really damn good movie. So I'm much more excited now than I was when I initially heard this was in development about four or five months ago. Yeah, I'm with you. I, the moment I heard, actually, that they were bringing back basically all of the original cast, like I think even John Amos and, and all those people are coming back, That, yeah. that that's what tipped me over the edge. I, I loved the original. I, yeah. thought, I thought it was one of Eddie Murphy's best just a hilarious, and I think 
Yeah, now that I know the whole cast is going to be there, I, I I can't wait. I can't wait to see it again and see all those people back together, and I'm, I'm excited for sure. Yeah, we still haven't seen an official trailer yet, so that's really all we can say about it. Yeah. And that's going to be the case for these next two movies. Actually, all three of these movies, Coming to America and the next two we're going to talk about, all come out on December 18th, so it's going to be a hell of a weekend uh, yeah. for movies. This will be the, the Christmas rush for, yeah, for exactly. next, for 2020. So for the comedy fans, they're going to go for Coming to America. For the sci-fi nerds, we're going to Dune. We are indeed. December 18th, um, and I am... Incredibly excited about this, <laughs> uh, largely because of Denis Villeneuve, uh, who yes. I think has been probably the best director of the past 10 years. I mean, his string of, of hits has just been uh, fantastic. I, I'm not even talking box office hits, just, I mean, interesting, different, uh, great, well-made movies. And uh, the ca- it's an amazing cast, uh, Rebecca Ferguson, who I think is is underrated, she's yeah. going to play a big role in it. Uh, um, Timothy Chalamet obviously is is going to get the lead role. The one thing that I was somewhat disappointed in was hearing that it's not Roger Deakins who's doing the cinematography. I thought he'd be mm. the natural choice because him and Villeneuve have worked together successfully in the past, and it seems like for such a big, epic movie, especially when they work together so well on Blade Runner 2049, that he would be mm-hmm. the f- perfect choice. Uh, but the the cinematographer is a guy named Grieg Fraser, who was a cinematographer for Rogue One. So that's not that seems like not a bad second choice if you're going for big epic filmmaking. No, so, not at all. Yeah, I'm I'm totally excited. And every little bit, again, yeah, there hasn't been a trailer or anything, but every little bit of gossip that you hear coming through the uh, through the woodwork or on Deadline Hollywood or anything, everybody seems to be blown away by what's been going on so far on set and so i I think it's going to be great right i've never seen the david lynch version nor have i read the original novel that being said i'm extremely excited about this as you said every bit of news coming out about it has been nothing but positive i mean to get everybody from timmy timothy chalamet to jason momoa to, to participate in this I think it's going to be Oscar unreal. Isaac and yeah, and Dave Bautista again is back as the Beast Robot. Yeah, no, I've I I actually did read the novels. Uh, I don't know they they ended up because some people took it over after Frank Herbert died, and I don't know how many novels they ended up writing. I think I read the first four okay. and uh, loved them. They were just very difficult, interesting very very complex he explored so many different themes and ideas in those novels that i think that's why people have always said that it's a very hard thing to commit to screen and and david lynch's wasn't great it just didn't do it justice so it's a it's a tall order but if there's anybody who can do it i think i think denis villeneuve is probably the guy to do it last but not least Steven Spielberg's version of West Side Story coming out on the exact same weekend, December 18th. What are your thoughts? I'm going to say not excited, but I will say that my opinion could be changed. 
First of all, I'm not a huge fan of musicals to begin with, even though okay. I love both music and, and movies. You stick them together and it just, most of the time it doesn't work for me. There are some exceptions. So I think it's interesting that this is Spielberg's first musical. I guess he just mm -hmm. figures, well, I've done everything else. Might as well try a musical. Right. <laughs> Why right. not? So I am slightly curious to see what he can do with a, mu with a musical. And the subject matter seems particularly appropriate, I guess, for this day and age. Interesting that a story from 1957, which was when the original came out, is it can now resonate again today, but it, I think it might. And so if Spielberg doesn't go too uh, just sort of happy-go-lucky with it, if he makes it a little difficult and interesting, then then I'd be more excited. But right now, I'm not sure. Yeah, I kind of agree. Because West Side Story is just a retelling of Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. And on a little kind of tangent, I've been watching the AFI Top 100 movies just to beef up on my film history. And I actually watched West Side Story for the very first time about five days ago. Wow, okay. So it's fresh in my mind and... Of course, every, of course, it's still topical. It's a timeless story. You know, two lovers from two different factions or families, rivalries and whatever, fall in love. And, you know, it's a tragedy at the end. Spoiler alert for Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> and, you know, Spielberg has been playing it safe for too long, yeah. in my opinion. He hasn't really taken any risks in the past 15, 20 years, maybe, since Saving Private Ryan. He's just been doing Indiana Joneses and remakes of War of the Worlds and shit like that. So, Yeah, his, his last risk, if you could even call it a risk, but his last somewhat interesting original movie was probably Minority Report. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. And that was, what, like 2000 and two or something like that uh, but it was that sounds right yeah so i i agree I, I really hope he tries to do something different yeah 2002 was minority report i hope he tries to do something different with it but again it's it's a remake so at this point not not excited so that wraps up our coverage of the 20 movies to look forward to in 2020 there's a ton of others there's countless sequels and superhero movies and the usual fare, but we kind of wanted to split it up and go across genres and just pick a couple from each month. So with that, we will move on to television and the TV shows that we're looking forward to, the ongoing ones, the new ones that are coming up in this upcoming year. And the yeah. first one we have... Well, just just to, to sort of an overview of television, when we, when we started looking at this, we both found it to be pretty tough, I'm sure. And part of that is because it's hard to know what's coming out in terms of television anymore. Right. Uh, ne neither of us, and I don't know how many people actually still watch uh, network television, but back in the day, you know, they'd always have the constant ads running. Oh, our new series coming up now. You don't get that these days. Right. You always had the water cooler moments where, you know, everybody would watch MASH or yeah. even even up to the 90s, everybody would watch The Sopranos and gather around the water cooler and discuss what happened 
but it's it's a good and a bad thing that there's so many options out there these days. And and they don't follow any sort of set schedule. There's no okay. This is the fall program. This is the it, they just come out whenever they want, especially on something like Netflix or or Hulu or Amazon, and so that makes it harder or made it harder to to come up with a good list of what's coming out just because I seem a lot more ignorant about that sort of thing that I would have been say even five ten years ago yeah and everybody watches things at their own pace nowadays so there's no like Sunday night mo- Sunday night show where everybody has seen it and you can't you have to like cover your ears at work the next day if you haven't seen something because everybody's talking about it it's like no everybody just if there's six episodes of a Netflix series that drops, you know, you might take a month to watch it. You might binge it in one night, but yeah, it's, it's definitely changed the landscape of social interactions as it relates to watching television. Absolutely. I mean, Game of Thrones might've been the, the last of those. And it was certainly unique. I mean, people have been talking about the death of monoculture for, more than 10 years now and and game of thrones as that sort of cultural experience maybe was one of the few last remaining hangovers of that uh for better or for worse depending on how you felt about all the toxicity around the, uh, <laughs> around the commentary on, on the last season of game of thrones but and even that took two or three years to really get going true yeah. so yeah i mean it, yeah that was an anomaly and i think that age has more or less been killed yeah but we do have a few shows to to highlight things that things that are going to be coming up so uh why don't you start us off there zach all right well the first one is nora from queens it's officially stylized as aquafina is nora from queens and i've seen the first three episodes of it and I, I really like it. I think Aquafina is incredibly talented. She was fantastic in The Farewell earlier this year, and she's really showing off her comedic chops in Nora from Queens. It's She kind of plays a similar character, like a really down-on-her-luck New Yorker who has a lot of problems with her Chinese-American family. And it's a lot, of course, it's on Comedy Central, so it's a lot more comedic. But she's showing both sides of the coin between this and Farewell. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it, uh, but but I agree, she's really uh, been going from strength to strength lately. Uh, so so good for her. Uh, next up, at some point this year, we may again. These are these. Who knows? Especially with with the Netflix, who are just notoriously guarded on all this kind of stuff. Uh, but we will probably get. Might as well link these two together. Uh, seasons four for both Stranger Things and The Crown, mm-hmm. which are two of the better ser- and more popular series that Netflix has has going. I'm. It, Excited about both of them still, but I wonder if we're going to start getting into diminishing returns for both those series fairly soon, just because at this point we kind of know what they are, and unless they do... I mean, obviously, the crown can't really do anything totally different. They can't, right. oh, wow, the queen turned into a vampire or something. Um, <laughs> so so that one has less less room to sort of change. 
they're going to have to definitely do something to change Stranger Things so it's not just, oh no, some monster from the Upside Down is coming back and they're going to have to go and then Seven has to go put them all back back together and seal up the gap again. If they do that for a fourth season in a row, then I think people will start tuning out Stranger Things as well. Yeah, I agree. I think they have to dive more into the characters and their growth as preteens going into teenagers and things like that because that's where all the... That's where all the heart has been in that series. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been cool to have the Demogorgon and all these different monsters coming out in this little sleepy town, but the strength of Stranger Things has always been the relationship between the characters, and I hope they lean into that a lot more than they do with the special effects-driven stuff. Mm. And The Crown, yeah, as you said, it's not like they can swerve off and do a big twist because, (laughs) no. It's a, <laughs> we know, we know everything it that's is going it on is. there. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly. still it's still one of the better made shows around. Uh, I still love it, but I I can see how after a while, even somebody like me might start to get a little tired of it if it's just the same thing over and over again. That said, I'll probably blitz through the ten episodes within three days <laughs> again for the moment it comes out. So we'll see. Well, just on a, a quick tangent, what do you think about uh, Emilda Staunton being the final queen in season five? I, I I like that choice. I like that choice. I'll I'll have to sort of wait and see how she does again. Um, but it seems, yeah, I, th- I think she can do a good job. Yeah, I think so I think. too. I mean, I think her most famous role has been Dolores Umbridge in the Harry Potter series, which is one of the best villains that you could have. So to see her take on a different role, I mean, she was in Maleficent as one of the three fairies, but she didn't have a major role in that. So yeah, it'd be nice to see what her real chops are because Mm -hmm. I haven't really seen her do anything major other than that no and she's got some pretty big shoes to fill i mean exactly exactly. the the first two actresses who have come before her have done an amazing job so it'll it'll be interesting but i i think she can pull it off uh next up a new season i'm not sure when this is going to come out either peaky blinders yeah uh they just started filming it so oh okay It'll probably be December at the earliest, maybe 2021. This is kind of the 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 doldrums you run into when you're trying to figure out what to look for in 2020 because TV is so kind of clandestine and <laughs> when they're re- releasing these things. But uh, it's worth mentioning Peaky Blinders is coming back for season six because, in my opinion, it is the best show on television right now. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I, I love Peaky Blinders. It's just, it's, it's so good. It's it, anybody and anybody who hasn't watched it, don't worry, you aren't too far behind because they only are six episode seasons, and yeah. so you can catch up fairly quickly. But if you haven't seen it, definitely, definitely jump on it. If you're still flipping around Netflix, going, what else is there to watch? And you haven't seen Peaky Blinders, definitely watch it. Yeah, and just let me wax poetic on this for a little bit because <laughs> it is it is almost a flawless series. It is perfectly acted, perfectly written. The music is out of this world. Yeah. The, the set design is amazing. The, the photography is amazing. The direction is fucking flawless. It, 
I cannot believe it hasn't made its way into the 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 lexicon of great series that we have here in America. It's true, yeah. It doesn't really get its due for whatever reason. I don't think it's even. I don't even know how often it's been nominated for Golden Globes and Emmys and things like that. It just no. definitely doesn't seem to be uh, getting getting as much attention as it deserves. But then again, you know, with that caveat, you always have to remind ourselves that The Wire never won a single Emmy. So, yeah. <laughs> in my opinion, it's still the greatest TV show of all time. So, yeah. I guess the Emmys aren't necessarily a, a, a perfect bellwether for for great uh, series. But I mean, Peaky Blinders sweeps the Baftas every fucking year, right? And I don't know if they're just not playing the game right, the pol- the, the political game behind the scenes where they can't get over the seas. It's kind of depressing because <laughs> it really deserves the rec- the recognition that it gets in England that it's not getting over here. Yeah. Better Call Saul. Um, I am a season behind as well. I know I noticed that in the our show notes here, you also said you're a season behind. I, I yeah, I should definitely catch up on that. I enjoyed the first two seasons. So what, this will be season... No, maybe I'm more than a season. Five. Season five, I think. Oh, okay. I'm way behind that. I, I only watched the first two seasons, I think. Okay. So, yeah, you, you can talk about it then. I, I enjoyed it. I appreciated... I appreciated it uh, for for what it was and what they were trying to do. It just didn't grab me as much as... Obviously, I didn't rush back after after season two, so I, I will go back and watch it. But it, it hasn't grabbed me as much as I maybe hoped it would. Yeah, I think I've been holding back on it until it like kind of links up with Breaking Bad a little bit more. Because I mean, Bob Bob Odenkirk's great. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but he can't carry a show the way that Brian Cranston did. No. And it's also a little tough when you kind of know where it's going. That's true too. But yeah. I, I guess it's almost the the problem with any prequel that unless I, it, it's I, I don't remember a, a solid prequel series in the same way because it works all right with a prequel movie. You know where it's going, but it'll only take two hours to get there. Exactly. Here you're yeah. going through seasons of seasons where you know where it's going, and you like, okay hurry up and fucking get there already and it just still hasn't happened so i think maybe that's part of the thing that's had me losing a little interest as well yeah because anytime it meanders and goes off on different subplots and things like that you're just like okay this is fine this is good acting this is good directing this is good writing but let's get to fucking heisenberg (laughs) yeah exactly exactly yeah it's it's yeah it's just the the drawback of of a prequel show now we get into some of the uh, Disney Marvel ones, and they have three new series that they, they're going to have coming out. Are they all coming out this year? Are they all coming out in 2020? Yeah. So we've got Loki, WandaVision, and Falcon and Winter Soldier. Which one of those are you most excited about? Loki. Okay. I would say Loki just because of Tom Hiddleston and... He's an amazing villain, one of the best characters that the MCU has ever put out. Um, <clears throat> WandaVision, I have no idea what the fuck it's about. <laughs> it's about Wanda and Vision, and for yeah. some reason they made it one word. I don't know why. <laughs> but 
all I've seen in the trailers, especially from the three part Super Bowl spot that um, Disney Plus and Marvel put out last night, it was just like them being I Love Lucy and <laughs> them in the 80s and them in the 90s. I have no idea what it's about other than their relationship, which was one of the lamer parts of the MCU, in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, true, true. Yeah, I'm definitely least interested in WandaVision. I might be most interested, actually, in Falcon and Winter Soldier for some reason, just because the little glimpse that we got of of, of those two together in uh, Civil War was just hilarious, just how they both really grate on each other's nerves. So I think they could have a lot of fun with that series. And it's a little more grounded than, I guess, Loki and probably even WandaVision. Yeah, it's definitely the safest. Yeah, so I I think of the three, I'm most looking forward to that one. Yeah, because Falcon Winter Soldier, I think you know what you're going to get. It's kind of the typical Marvel fair where, you know, it's going to be these two guys that are diametrically opposed to one another, but they both love Cap in their own certain ways, so... Sure, they'll wind up coming together over that. I don't know how they're going to make a full series out of it, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. But these days, series just keep getting shorter and shorter. So you know, it's not like they need to fill twenty three episodes. I don't even know what it'll be. I'm assuming they'll end up being eight episode seasons. Yeah, sort of like um, Mandalorian was. So yeah, it seems like you can fill eight episodes a little easier than than you used to. Even back when. You know, HBO is really uh, starting in this their sort of golden age with with uh, The Wire and Sopranos and everything. I think back then they were doing thirteen episode seasons, and yeah. so it's 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 even shorter than that now. So I, I'm sure they'll find a way to fill it. All right, and then we have a new season of Kirby Enthusiasm, and it just kills me how. Larry David has HBO, one of the biggest studios in the world, just wrapped around his little finger. It's like, yeah, fuck you. I have all the money I could spend in 70 lifetimes. So you're just going to have to sit back and wait for me to release the series when I want to. It's it's so great. It's... It's almost part of the show, just Larry David yeah, just for sure, for sure. being himself in real life as well. It's all kind of all wrapped up together. It's yeah. just performance art from the moment the guy wakes up in the morning till including the filming of the show and the show. And it's it's all hilarious. It's all I I love that show. It's so good. I was I was a late arrival to that show and then uh, I think I didn't even start watching it until after they had done five seasons or something like that, and then mm. I just blitzed through everything. But it's just so it's so it's a lot of the best things about Seinfeld, but just taken up a notch to its most uncomfortable level, and <laughs> just the the commentary on the minutia of of human interaction that we often have in fleeting thoughts but don't ever spend much time really exactly. delving into but larry but uh, but larry really does so it's uh yeah it's it's great yeah <laughs> uh next a new show uh, picard on uh, up here in canada we get it on something called ctv sci-fi i don't even know where that channel came from but what is it i think it's a cbs all access thing in states isn't it it is indeed 
Okay, so I don't know how many people are actually going to be able to watch it. I watched the first episode, and mm-hmm. I liked it quite a bit. Uh, I thought Patrick Stewart is just always great and watchable, and I thought they had a pretty interesting premise. So, and are you a are, are you a Star Trek fan? I'm definitely not a, a Trekkie, mm-hmm. but I I watched my fair share of Next Generation back in the day when it was on. I don't know how many of the other series I ever watched. I probably watched a little Deep Space Nine, and that was about it. I don't think I've seen any of the other series. They've, I don't know how many series they've had at this point. I think I've seen all of the movies, though. So mm. I'm I'm not a massive fan, but I'm I'm fairly well versed in the in the Star Trek universe, and yeah, I liked it. I liked the first episode, so I'm gonna try to find a way that I, th- I think I will be able to actually keep watching it through through whatever cable package I have. So yeah, um, not a Trekkie either. I, I do love Patrick Stewart, but I think the most. I've ever seen of a Star Trek iteration was when he was playing Picard. So if anything's going to draw me in, it's that I have, I've seen the first new movie with Chris Pine as Kirk, but I didn't see any of the others. So I can't really speak on this too much, but if anything's going to pique my interest, it's this, as far as uh, Star Trek's concerned. Yeah, it definitely seems like the most, interesting take on the Star Trek universe compared to all the other series, which basically just seemed to be rehashing the old, oh, it's a ship exploring space, and every week they'll meet some new interesting alien or whatever. Yeah. Uh, this, at least, it's it's a little more grounded. He's sort of in retirement on Earth, and it's it's more interesting in that way. Okay. And then we have the final season of BoJack Horseman on Netflix, and I have to confess that I've not seen a single episode. Oh, okay. I haven't watched the whole thing. I know some people who are dire BoJack uh, Horseman fans, though. I've probably seen uh, from I think I've seen the first. I've seen the yeah. I've seen the first two seasons. I think I can't even remember how many they have, and. I definitely enjoyed it. Apparently, it's a series. It's def- it's one that it's on my radar as something I need to go back and watch, though, because mm-hmm. people say, say that it just keeps getting better and better. And I just know that some people are very disappointed that this is the final season. It's been just becoming more and more popular all the time, it seems. So I guess, yeah, neither of us have seen that much of it, but we thought we'd, we'd note it as... Uh, as in another series coming to an end. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's a lot of those lately. I just actually, just today, finished watching, a, a couple of days late, the, the final episode of The Good Place. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. that, another great series coming to an end. And that ended in a very tear-jerking and satisfying uh, manner. But, <laughs> but, yeah, we need some new, se- new series because a lot of the old ones are wrapping up. Next, uh, we've got a new season of The Sinner, sort of an anthology series. Yeah. Uh, the first two, I thought, were, were quite good. The, the first one was, was better than the second one. But, yeah, I agree. But the second one was, was somewhat interesting. I guess now in the third season, it looks like the killer or, or the accused person is going to be Matt uh, Bomber. Boomer? How do you pronounce his name? 
uh, anyway, the guy from <laughs> the guy from uh, White Collar. That's right. Yeah, he was the star of White Collar for a while. He also had a short-lived one-season series on Amazon called The Last Tycoon. So he's done a bunch of things, and I, he seems to be the the new addition to this season of The Sinner. I'll, I'll probably watch it if I can find it on on whatever channels. It's uh, it's also USA Network, I think, in the states, isn't it? Um, I've been watching it on Netflix. Oh, okay. I think it, yeah, I think originally it's on some other network. So maybe Netflix just picked it up for 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 rebroadcast yeah i didn't watch them when they first came out so that's probably the case yeah uh new series this is one that uh, i put down it's called briar patch it's coming out on usa network that's what i was thinking of and the only reason why i'd even heard of this is because i saw an advanced screening back at the toronto film festival in september of the first two episodes aren't you fancy (laughs) it stars uh, rosario dawson and it's basically a noir show set in Texas and in sort of rural Texas. So it's, it's very interesting juxtaposition of styles. The thing that's most interesting about it to me is that its creator is Andy Greenwald, who's a writer who's done a lot of commentary on television and, and movies and everything else. And used to write for, uh, uh grantland yeah I, I, now he's on the ringer he's done, yeah so basically all of bill simmons things yeah. um, i just really enjoy him as a writer this is his first foray into into screenwriting and the first two episodes were were interesting he's definitely created a, a unique kind of world and we'll have to see where it goes from there but uh i might give it a shot all right and this is a addition i probably put on before you made your show notes but uh the new pope on hbo is about halfway through it's um it's about halfway through its season it's technically the second season of this franchise known as the young pope with uh jude law and in this season john malkovich comes in as the new pope because jude law is in a coma and it is fucking incredible if you're into the kind of bizarre. Also, if you're into anything that has to do with the Vatican and the, the papacy and the trials and tribulations that come with being this kind of anachronistic, archaic institution that still rules the lives of over a billion people on planet Earth. Yeah, it, it looks very interesting. I haven't seen any of this new season. Uh, I've just seen the trailers where it looks like Malkovich is using some sort of really bizarre accent. But uh, He's also wear, wearing a lot of mascara, too. <laughs> okay. okay. That's, the kind, that's the kind of show that this is, though. It's true, it's, yeah. They, they do tend to, to really dive into the bizarre, as you said. So. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really weird. It's extremely European, but if that's... If that's your taste, you will love this new season of The New Pope. All right, back to Netflix. Um, there's also going to be a new season of Narcos. This is Narcos Mexico season two. Mm-hmm. The, the first two were obviously in Colombia. Or no, the first 
three were in Colombia, right? Right, right. And then, yeah. and then they did uh, Narcos Mexico, and now this is Narcos Mexico season two. Uh, it's just, it's still, a, it's still an excellent show. Just really well done. I'll be watching it. Uh, it's, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the the Narcos Colombia stuff maybe a little more just because Pedro Pascal is fantastic in it. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, Narcos Mexico is... It, it, they did a pretty good job of, of shifting it entirely in the in the last season, I thought. Yeah, um, I have to echo your statement about the first couple seasons because, you know, it's it's about the hunting of Pablo Escobar. And, you know, that's the one drug lord where if you ask anybody to name a drug lord, it's Pablo Escobar. Yeah. yeah. So it's a story that everybody could dive right into and be there in Colombia at that time in the 80s. And Narcos Mexico has done a good job of extending that premise but it's without some of the key characters that got us into it in the first place. It's still very yeah. solid, yeah. but I agree that I, I like the first couple seasons more. And that brings us to Hunters on Amazon, starring Al Pacino in what I believe is his first starring role in a television series. I can't imagine... He well, he did. Else. He was in. Uh, I guess it wasn't really. It was a mini series, but he was in that Angels in America thing way back for HBO. Oh, right, 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 right. Uh, so yeah, you're right. But this is a full series. It looks interesting. It's yeah. set in set in the seventies, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll watch it. Al Pacino's got a big beard now, yeah. and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, 19, yeah, 1977. It's uh, about a, a group of Nazi hunters. So, yeah, and I'm, all, I'm, all, I'm always down for killing Nazis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, there's no greater movie villains than, uh, or, or film villains than Nazis. So, exactly. It's, uh, it should be pretty good. And yeah, if it was, well, I was going to say, if it's enough to, to lure Al Pacino to the, to the small screen, then it must be decent. But Al Pacino has made some bad <laughs> choices in his career, so maybe that, yes. is, that, maybe that doesn't necessarily mean everything. I'll definitely check it out, though. And then we'll probably be getting also a, a season two of Altered Carbon, the, the sci-fi series that, that showed up last year on Netflix. Um yeah, I Thoughts. wasn't a huge I wasn't a huge fan of it to be honest. I know a lot of people love it, but I just I couldn't really dip two feet into the world for some reason. I just couldn't get attached to it. Um, I wasn't enamored with the lead character, and I don't. I, I really love uh, Miguel Sapachnik, who was the director of a lot of those episodes. Mm-hmm. But it's really beautifully shot but I just couldn't get invested in the world. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I blitzed through it fairly quickly, so at least held my interest that it was it was a binge watch and not a not a painful, oh man, I got a couple more episodes, might as well finish it kind of thing, which yeah. sometimes happens for series for me. So I guess maybe I liked it a little bit more than you did. It it was a little convoluted in terms of storytelling and some of the themes were were ones that we've seen a million times before in in sci-fi movies, but I thought it was uh, it's an interesting enough premise and world that I'll I'll be back for season two to see where it goes from here. Alrighty, 
And the last one we have for this segment is Westworld Season 3. Yeah, I'm, I gotta say I'm kind of out on Westworld. Uh, I, I enjoyed the first season and I thought it was, it, it, it set the stage pretty nicely for moving on from there. And then season two, it was like, they just tried to slap the audience down again and started with the, the convoluted time changes and, and it just didn't, it just didn't do it for me anymore. And it's, it kept seeming like they were trying to get to some point, but they weren't quite sure what the point was that they were trying to get to. And every time it seems like they would be building up to something, they pull back mm-hmm. and just not give the audience what it was that we were there for. And so I, I just, after a while, I just got tired of sort of being jerked around, it seemed, by the storytellers. And so, yeah, I, I jumped ship at the end of last season. I, I'm not sure I'll go back for season three. Yeah, this is one of the things that pisses me off about some filmmakers is that they think they're so much more clever than the audience. Yeah, and, and really, really, they, they weren't in this case because I'm not exactly. quite sure that their message came through very clearly. And if they actually had an interesting message to say, you should be able to say it in an intelligible way. And yeah. I don't think they did that. So that's on them. Yeah. I'm all for like really cerebral shit that makes you think, but if you're just throwing shit out there to show how smart you are, then you're really insulting your audience. Exactly. And that always just pisses me off inherently. Yeah. Yeah. So it's out there. Check it out if you're still on the, the Westworld bandwagon. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's probably not one I'll go back to. But anyway, you know, often people ask, uh, oh, what's a good series I should be watching? So that, without going into too much detail, I'm sure there's there's a million other series out there, as, as you all know. But hopefully there's a few options for you, for all the listeners out there, if you're looking for a new series or, or old series to, to watch in the next few months. Yeah, we're here for you. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We're here to wade through all the bullshit so you don't have to. (laughs) Yes. All right, so now we're going to go on to a segment that's been sweeping the nation and the world. (laughs) It's called Either Or. Either Or! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the people love the Either Or. (laughs) Yes, they do. So here we're going to talk about in this era of streaming where you have to pick and choose between so many different streaming services as well as your cable packages and satellite, we're going to break it down to tell you where you should be spending your hard-earned cash on the various streaming apps that are out there. So, first one, either or, Netflix or Amazon Prime. Now... When I first wrote this, I thought it was going to be Netflix, but on further reflection, I would have to go with Amazon Prime just because of the variety that's out there. There's a shit ton of movies on Netflix, but if you really look hard at Amazon Prime, there's more movies, and the quality of Amazon Prime's programs has been steadily going up while I think Netflix has been steadily trending down. So if you're going to emotionally and financially invest in a service, I think you should go with Amazon Prime. 
Plus, you can get any movie you want for $1.99 to $2.99 if you just want to rent it for 24 hours. That's true. That's that's a fair point. And also, plus, with Amazon Prime, you also get music and you get the deliveries, which is yeah. <laughs> Amazon's main uh, main business model. I will still go with Netflix on this one, just as from a sheer volume standpoint. That uh, they've got, they've still got a lot of different things to offer. Unfortunately, a lot of the stuff that they have to offer these days. I say, unfortunately, um, I don't mean that in terms of the, the quality of the shows, but a lot of it is is uh, is from other countries. And a lot of times when I'm looking for series just to watch at the end of the day, I'm, I'm also kind of doing other things and only have my eye half on the series. Mm. And so I can't really watch subtitled uh, series that way. A subtitled <laughs> movie, that's fine, because I'll sit down there for the two hours. and having a problem and, with the connection. And um, uh, Siri just wanted to jump into the conversation for some reason there. Anyway, and but uh, it's I, I'll still I'll still go with Netflix. I just think they've they've just got a lot, and they're just constantly pumping out shit. Some of it is shit, but there's there's still some gems in there too. Okie dokie. Moving on, we have Disney Plus versus HBO Go. I'm actually going to go HBO Go on this one, and I wouldn't have thought so. But here's why. Here's what I did. When when Disney Plus came out last fall, I got so damn excited about it that I that I actually didn't buy the month-to-month thing. I bought the whatever it was, the year, because you got a, a reduction. And I was like, yeah, I'll want this for a year. And now that I've had it for, what, about three months? I kind of feel like I've reached the end of it. Oh God! <laughs> I mean, not, not really, but they're, they're, they don't have that much in the way of new stuff. I guess when these new Marvel series comes out, then that'll be fine. But I've gone back and I've watched the the Pixar movies that I wanted to. I watched Mandalorian. I watched a couple of other things. And then I'm kind of like, well, uh, what else is there to watch? And I've got this subscription for a full year. Whereas HBO just constantly puts out good quality shows. And so I think I'm surprised that I'm saying this, but I think I'll go with HBO Go. This was a really tough one for me. But in the end, I had to go with Disney, excuse me, Disney Plus. Just because... I was born, bred, and raised on Disney movies, so if I had to choose one to go with, I would just go with Disney+. Plus. Not for the new content they're pumping out, but I've been rewatching every animated movie from Snow White to uh, the latest Pixar movies. Oh, okay, wow. And so you've done just, a deeper dive than me. Maybe, maybe yeah, I need to go back and do some so of that. So just to see the evolution of animation. And there's so many great shows on there, like um, uh, Jeff Goldblum's series on the Nat Geo uh, segment that they have on Disney Plus is so funny and amazing. And, yeah, so, so to go through Pixar, Disney, Nat Geo, the whole Star Wars universe, if I had to st- stick with one of those, as much as I love so many HBO series, uh, we'll have to go with Disney+. Plus. Fair enough. Next up, Hulu or Apple TV+. Plus. 
Um, got it. These are two of the lesser ones. I think we'd both agree. Yeah. Out of the uh, the ones we've uh, said so far, but uh, I'd have to go with Hulu just because the only avenue i've had into apple tv plus is what you've told me (laughs) (laughs) and your review on the website and hulu has just such a plethora of old tv shows that you can watch as you you know go to sleep at night (laughs) it has like two of my favorite shows which are south park and it's always sunny in philadelphia and so many others as a lot of classic movies that you can watch and Apple TV Plus is a baby and hasn't really had a chance to develop. So, Yeah, fair enough. And, and Apple TV Plus, to be fair, they ha- do have new stuff coming out all the time. When I did my review, that was right after it started, I think within the first week. And so I reviewed just what was available at that point, and it was pretty thin. It's They're filling it out a little bit, but it's still not, as you say, it's still a baby. They, they still just don't have much of a much of a catalog at this point hulu is one uh, we actually don't get hulu up here in canada oh, <laughs> and shit. yeah it kind of sucks because there's there are a few programs on hulu that i that i really like uh one of my favorites is one that's a completely overlooked series called harlots which uh, i just is really well done and so I'm disappointed that I can't watch that right. Well, actually, I think there is a way to do it. I think I have to get Crave TV up here in Canada, it's called, but I just I haven't done that yet. I'll probably get around to signing up for that so I can go back to some of those series that I enjoyed on Hulu. But yeah, the answer for me on this one would be Hulu as well. So the final one, uh, either or, Showtime or Stars. I'd have to go with Showtime just because I don't think I've ever watched a series on stars. Uh, and even like I put this at the bottom as, as our last uh, either or because I could do without both of them, honestly. Uh, Shameless was probably my favorite show on Showtime, but they haven't been good in three years. And stars, I guess their top show is Power, and I'm not interested in that one. Uh, Showtime also has Ray Donovan, which I also haven't watched in three or four years because that kind of fell off. But yeah, if I had to pick between the two, I'd say Showtime. Yeah, it's probably Showtime as well. It seems like most of that would be for their back catalog, though. As you said, like they just don't have that much that's interesting right now. I think. Homeland, speaking of other shows that are ending, Homeland, I think, is entering its final season. Yeah, um, but but a, lot, a lot of the good stuff on Homeland, or sorry, on Showtime is just, they're old things. So, yeah, I'm, I don't know. Stars has some shows. I have actually watched a few shows on Stars. I've enjoyed the whole the Queen Princess series for the most part, the, the White Queen, the White Princess, and the Spanish Princess. Although... Mm. They, they, especially the first two, had some questionable, like magical elements where they're witches, and I think that <laughs> that totally undercut the whole <laughs> argument of them being uh, powerful, interesting women in their own right. Because of course, that was what they were always accused of back in those days to to, <laughs> to silence powerful and important women as, oh no, you're just a witch. And here they strangely leaned into that. Oh yeah, they're they're also witches. 
which <laughs> I thought was a very strange choice. But aside from that, I I enjoyed those series. Uh, I guess Stars also has American Gods, which I never really caught on to. Back catalog again. I loved Black Sails on Stars. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But that only lasted a few seasons, so that's just back catalog shit as well. So you're right. I think these days all they've really got to. I never got into Outlander. I think all they've really got to recommend themselves these days is Power. So I think you're right. I think on this one, the answer would still be Showtime, even though, yeah, both of those, uh, Showtime and Stars are are probably ones that are only for completists. <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure. If you just want to be tossing a lot of money around and for only one show cuz yeah, there's just not enough there on either of those two that's worthwhile. Thus concludes our world famous segment of either or. Either or. But a little trail off to that segment is if you were stranded on a desert island with a TV, passable Wi-Fi, <laughs> and access to only one streaming service, which one would it be if you had to choose one out of the eight we just illustrated? And despite me agreeing with what you said about the quality overall of Netflix, I think for me it's still got to be Netflix just because if I only had one streaming service and if I'm on a desert island, I would probably go through series uh, <laughs> so damn fast. Uh, you know, other than sitting around and playing, I don't know, coconut drums or something, what else are you going to do? So <laughs> I, yeah, I'd, I'd probably go Netflix again, just sheer volume, just because they've, they've got a lot of shit out there. All right, and for me, I'd still go with Amazon Prime, going back to our initial argument. Because, <laughs> Although you're not like, getting deliveries on the desert island. No, you're not. <laughs> not until no. they get their drone service up and running. <laughs> but, I mean, and then they can just order a damn raft to get off the thing. But. If I had you know, a, a moderate amount of money in my desert island account, then I could... <laughs> I could just watch any movie I wanted on Amazon Prime anyway. <laughs> That's true. That is true. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> All right. So that uh, wraps up that. That's mostly our look forward to, to 2020. We went over the movies. We went over TV shows. Talked a little bit about where you should spend your money, although we had some <laughs> disagreements on that in terms of the streaming services. And so... Moving forward, over the next couple of podcasts, we've got a new series idea. Take it away, Zach. All right, so being that there's not going to be a ton to talk about as far as podcasts are considered over the next few months, because award season's over, and we do our movie reviews in written form on the website, we're going to start what we're going to call a century series. Now, the 1920s isn't when film began, but it's the it's when film as we know it began. So we're going to do a 10-part series on each decade, the 20s, the 1920s through the 2010s on each decade and we're going to talk about some of the best movies, some of the best actors, screenwriters, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's just a kind of fun exercise because while I'm a film enthusiast, a film buff, and we're both film students, I wouldn't call either of us film historians. 
No, no, but it's, it's, you're right. It's absolutely a great thing to do uh, just for ourselves. It's going to force us to go back and watch some of these, these classics that some of them I've seen, but a lot of them I haven't. And then hopefully we'll be able to pass on what we learn to, to the listeners. Yeah, and hopefully it'll inspire you guys to go back and watch some of the films that may have been forgotten and maybe have been overlooked because especially on in the early days, you know, there's a lot of quote unquote lost films and it'll just be fun to go back and for those of you that enjoy the visual medium of motion pictures, follow along with us, please. Yes, please do. So keep following us on social media and you'll find out then when uh, the next few podcasts come out with the beginnings of our Century series. Right. You can find us at unsolicitedfilmreviews.com, unsolicited film reviews on Facebook, unsolicited underscore films underscore reviews underscore on Instagram. And you can follow me personally at Zach T. Miller on Instagram. And you can follow me at J. Martin Cook, Cook with an E, um, on Instagram. And that little ditty you heard at the beginning of this podcast was done by our own Martin Cook. Woo, theme music. <laughs> We're turning into a real podcast now. so <laughs> Slowly but surely. We'll see you next time on the Unsolicited Film Reviews podcast.